We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, this is Stephen Haglin, the host of the Guilty as Charged podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and supporting the show. As always, we do appreciate any ratings, reviews, likes, subscribes, comments on any podcast platform, including YouTube. And I want to start today off by giving a shout out to one of our sponsors, The Backroom Collection. You can find him on Twitter at The Backroom C-O-L-2. Again, that's The Backroom C-O-L-2. Uh, he has been putting out some fire chargers prints, and I think any football fan should check him out and be able to upgrade their man cave, their workout you know, situation, their home office, their actual office. Check him out online, thebackroomcollection.net. If you use the code GAC, that's G-A-C, on your first purchase, you get 10% off. He is even going to be able to attend a Justin Herbert signing. He's got a bunch of Justin Herbert prints that he will have signed by the man himself. Again, use the code GAC for 10% off at thebackroomcollection.net. Thank you so much for supporting him and our show. That being said, let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven. I am your host. We have a very special episode today with a collaboration of our Blue R podcast friends from the Big, Big Blue Banter. Excuse me. It's a little tongue twister, you guys, but uh, joining me are Dan Schneier and Nick Filato. Nick, we'll start with you, man. How are you doing? Doing wonderful. Back in Jersey right now, so it's great to be back home in the state that I am from, and I'm hoping to see Mr. Dan Schneier soon. There we go. Thanks for joining us, Nick and Dan. How are you doing as well, man? Pretty, pretty, pretty good myself. It's been a nice week so far for me. Not too crazy on the work front. So I actually just got myself into the gym for the first time in like six weeks, which is a good feeling because it was pretty disappointing to fall off that wagon. You know, when I when I used when Nick used to live around here, he was my motivation because this kid's in like <laughs> tip top shape his entire life and has never been in anything but good shape. And when you see people like that, you want to try to strive to be better. But you know, now that living living on my own here, it's just it's been tough to motivate myself, especially during football season when it's really busy. But I got back oh, yeah. in today, so we'll see what happens. Football season, holidays, COVID, man, yeah. it was uh, not a uh, very exercise friendly environment for. Uh, many people this year but uh really excited about this episode it's going to be a, a little bit different it's going to be less of an interview today a little bit more of a collaboration 
So I'm really excited about that. And uh, I want to get things started here because I'm just the, the Giants to me are a curious case study. You know, we don't really talk about a whole lot of general managers and head coaches on this show. But you look at, you know, kind of the, the offseason moves and how things are going. Um, I'm just curious to get your guys' thoughts. And Dan, we'll start with you on really how this team has progressed in year two of Joe Judge and how you're kind of, you know, interpreting the mood from the fan base in terms of Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge. Yeah, unfortunately, it hasn't been much of a progression this year for Joe Judge in year two. It's been quite the opposite. Uh, I think in a lot of ways, he's regressed not only as a coach himself, but the team has regressed. They haven't developed in a lot of ways. The offensive line hasn't developed how we would like them to develop. I know there's been injuries there. The passing game hasn't developed how we hoped it might develop. The running game has actually taken a step back because it found a little bit of success in the second half of the 2020 season. And that seems to be gone. Defense is what it was last year, so it didn't fall off. But it, again, no progression there whatsoever. And so in a lot of ways, this somehow has been a roster that's regressed, despite the fact that they did go on a free agent spending spree last offseason. That marks three of four offseasons where Dave Gettleman was allowed to spend big, did spend big. And as we've seen time after time with free agency, it, it, it doesn't tend to lead to big results. Yeah, it, it generally is a, a fickle business in free agency. I know everybody always wants their teams to be aggressive and spend big. And I think you look at the individual moves that the Giants have made in terms of, you know, adding these players, you know, Dory Jackson, extending Leonard Williams, bringing over Kenny Galladay. On paper, they look really nice. But, Nick, they haven't, from my perspective, from the outside perspective, they haven't really gelled very well. And you could add James Bradbury and Blake Martinez in that conversation as well. Yeah, so for Blake Martinez, James Bradbury, and Adoree Jackson, I I'm going to disagree with that. I feel like they've gelled very well into Patrick Graham's system. Last year okay. in 2020, something about Patrick Graham, he maximized the careers and, and got career years out of Leonard Williams, Jabril Peppers, James Bradbury, and Blake Martinez. And that's really impressive. And that unit really kind of came together towards the end of the season. They were playing really cohesive football. At the same time, they had a a lot of weaker competition outside of the Seattle Seahawks, who they defeated with Colt McCoy up there at Lumen Field, which was a very impressive win for the New York Giants. But I feel like those pieces actually are playing really well. Now, a lot of the offensive pieces have been the issue. Now, a lot of them can't stay on the football field. Kenny Galladay has been injured. Mm -hmm. Tony, their first-round pick in this last draft, has been injured. But really, my main <laughs> like, gripe was the one thing that Dave Gettleman said he was going to fix. That was the offensive line, man. And they have not fixed the offensive line. And they had incredible, as we say on the Big Blue Banter podcast, coaching hubris and front office hubris. They brought in Rob Sale to be that offensive line coach. And they selected a lot of young guys in the previous yeah. draft. Shane Lemieux, Matt Parrott. And they went into this draft and they were like, we're not going to address the tackle position. We're not even going to consider Sean Slater, which is so egregious in my mind. And they didn't do anything with the guards outside of adding Zach Fulton and Joe Looney, who both retired during training camp. So they went into this offensive line saying, Rob Sale will develop these young guys. We're comfortable with them. And we were screaming on the podcast, Dan, right? We were like, dude, you can't do that. Like you have to bring in competition. And especially, and we said, if they suffer one injury, they're screwed. Well, week two rolls around, second drive, Nick Gates breaks his ankle. And Nick Gates is arguably the second best offensive lineman behind Andrew Thomas, who's having a really good season. So that's one reason we should, I guess, be, proud and happy about the offensive line but outside of that will hernandez is a disaster matt scura disaster nate solder disaster so it, it's been really really poor right now everything that's going on and then they acquired billy price and ben bredesen both of them I, i'm a little bit higher on bredesen i would say than billy price mm -hmm. billy 
another disaster. So it's that's my biggest gripe with everything that's going on with this team. You say you're going to fix the offensive line, you don't. And look, the offense is anemic. They're just terrible. Yeah, that uh, that all sounds very familiar for us uh, as Chargers fans over the last few years. Thankfully, Tom Telesco finally learned his lesson, and granted, Rashawn Slater did fall into his lap. And you look at, you know, the Giants could have taken him, the Carolina Panthers, you could argue, probably should have taken him, the Denver Broncos, same thing. Uh, so we're very grateful that Rashawn Slater is a charter right now at this moment. I think you can make a case that almost any team in the top 10 should have taken yeah. him. He's yeah. arguably been the best offensive rookie this season. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, he's just really stabilized that side. You know, the Chargers still have some work to go. Uh, you know, the right tackle situation has been a mess for a long time, too. But, um, you know, Brian Balaga hasn't played very much uh, since he was signed over there as well. So uh, it's an interesting, you know, matchup from that standpoint with the offensive lines because they're, they're very similar in situations of where the general managers have kind of really not done their job. But, you mentioned Andrew, Andrew Thomas, Nick, and I'm glad you brought that up because he was somebody that I was pretty high on last year in the draft, and then he had a really tough rookie year. But, uh, you know, from the games that I have watched and from his pro football focus profile, it looks like he's playing really, really well lately. He's playing really well lately, and I, I think it's a big confidence thing. A lot of his issues last year was his, abil- his inability, I should say, to defend the counter move. So inside counter and then outside uh, shoulder, he would overset constantly. And that would just allow pass rushers to kind of shoot right inside of the B gap. That was one of his mm-hmm. biggest issues. And then he ended up, you know, trying to overcompensate for that kind of shorten his sets a little bit. And then he was getting beat around the shoulder. It was just a, a terrible yeah. mixture of footwork issues, technique issues, hand placement and ability to stay square. All those things were just jacked up last season. We saw it a little bit in the preseason too, against the Patriots, Josh, Josh Uche just, kind of destroyed him on two reps and we were like oh no not again you know this is good. he actually finished 2020 kind of strong yeah. out of the ravens and the arizona game those those games the giants were just you know absolutely dominated up front and wasn't just mm-hmm. Andrew thomas but then man he just turned it on during the regular season and he's by far and away their most i would say impressive player on offense yeah uh you know i it seems like i, I would agree with that statement as well so i want to get to the quarterback uh position here because obviously you know, the Giants reportedly had uh, a big, you know, love affair with Justin Herbert. He decides to go back to Oregon. They end up with Daniel Jones. Um, it's been a bit of a mixed bag. Obviously shown some flashes, Dan. But uh, what have you seen from Jones this year in terms of his progression or lack thereof? Yeah, I mean, I first want to say it was such a different process for the Giants with Herbert versus Jones. I mean, Dave Gettleman specifically went to six games to watch just Justin Herbert during that final season in hopes that he would come out. It's been leaked since that he was the clear-cut number one quarterback for them versus Jones, who wasn't on his radar at all. He went to the Senior Bowl and fell in love with Jones, quote-unquote fell in flu-boom love with Jones. That's Dave Gettleman's word. Just an example, just a really bad process from a draft standpoint. You can't mm. go into a draft saying, I need to find a quarterback for the New York Giants. That's my goal because there was a lot of pressure from the fan base. Everyone at that point knew it was time to turn on from Eli Manning. That's not how you approach roster building. You can't force picks. You can't force positions. That's exactly what Dave Gettleman does. And then once he does find that quarterback that he falls in love with, based on a very limited sample size, a week at the senior bowl that he liked the kid, he saw him lead well, and then just probably convinced himself on some of the tape in the good game, the good tape that he saw from him. And there wasn't really much to go with from Duke. He had a lot of drops at Duke from his receivers, but he's also running a system that was extremely quarterback friendly and didn't really translate to the NFL game at all. And he doesn't really have the arm talent that translates. So it was, it was a forced pick. We knew that from the start. 
And he even, you know, he said, I can't afford to wait to try to get him at 17. We got to get him at six. And with Jones, it was a great rookie season to some extent. People talk about that rookie season in a little higher light than I think is fair. I think what really happened there was a coordinator came in and simplified things for the quarterback and made it extremely quarterback friendly. We even saw at times through his tenure, Pat Shermer made things easy for Case Keenum and Case Keenum looked good in his system. He made even Teddy Bridgewater look good for a small stretch in his system. And so once the NFL adjusts and they take away some of the things that are easy for a quarterback, Jason Garrett came in and he said, I want to take your game to the next level. I want to make you have to make full field reads. I want to put a lot more on your plate. And it just doesn't seem like that has progressed with Jones. For me, my biggest issue with Jones right now is that I just don't think he sees the field well at all from a post-snap standpoint. There's times he does a good job diagnosing it pre-snap, and there's times what, what he thought will be there is there, and he picks up a game. But there's times, more times than not when it's not there, and he just can't adjust, and his eyes are so slow to get to where they need to be. I heard Kurt Warner talking about quarterbacks today, and he was talking about Mac Jones. They asked him, give me a quarterback in the NFL who you're most impressed with right now based on the film. And Warner said it was Mac Jones. And he said, this is not among rookies. He's like, I am most impressed with him among all quarterbacks. And he's like, for me, the quarterback position is mostly a mental. I look at it from a mental standpoint. And he said, how quick are your eyes? Can your eyes quickly get to where they need to be? And how well do you see it? The field post snap and how well do you see it? And he said, from that standpoint, he's been really impressed with Mac Jones that from that standpoint, unfortunately, I don't think Daniel Jones has progressed enough for year three or nearly enough for year three. There's all the excuses in the world for Jones. They're fair. I get it. The offensive line is terrible. The play calling was terrible. He's had injuries at wide receiver. And this is the first year he's even had talent at wide receiver. It all makes sense. But at the same time, that doesn't always, you know, you can't just fall back on those excuses when you see such poor red zone ball placement, such poor red zone, you know, reads. And just in general, him locking on and his eyes just not quick enough. Nick, do you agree with that? I do agree with that. And there have been times in the red zone. And I, well, first off, let me preface this. I feel like Jason Garrett was holding back this red zone offense as well, as, as well as the offensive line. I don't think it's all on Jones. This is a collective right. issue. It's a New York Giants collective issue that starts with John Mara and Steve Tish and goes all <sighs> down. It really does. Yeah. But in terms of Daniel Jones, there are times that, that they're in the red zone and you can see, and you know, NFL windows are so small. They're so small. And the window appears, and you see Jones see it, and then he sees that safety kind of lurking, and he hesitates, and he does this a couple times, and then he just tries to run forward for a couple yards. And it's like you have to see where everybody is pre to post snap. Look that guy. And it's not like Daniel Jones doesn't do this. uh, Like he does this consistently. It's just there are times where he misses opportunities and he's leaving plays on the field because he is not quick enough, as Dan said. And I think that is a fair critique and a fair criticism of Daniel Jones. And I think it's a fair criticism of a lot of young quarterbacks who are coming into the NFL, specifically from a system that David Cutcliffe ran at Duke. The thing is, do we believe Daniel Jones is the player that could take this franchise to the next level and and be a reason why the Giants win, like a Justin Herbert Mm -hmm. Are all you lost Angeles Chargers. <laughs> I, don't think Daniel Jones is. I think Daniel Jones, if he was in the perfect situation, he is a player that can lead his team to the playoffs. He's a player that could probably win some playoff games, but he has to be in the perfect situation. And then honestly, I'm not looking for that kind of quarterback, and especially not when I have to sign him to a second contract. No, I think that really is, is the biggest trend right now around the league, right? It's do you have a guy, you know, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Bricks, they always talk about, you know, trucks versus trailers. Do you have a truck that can carry your team? And if you don't, then you're you're always searching for one. You know, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Baker Mayfield this offseason. And it's like, you can win with that, you know, a high-end trailer, right? You know, with Derek Carr type or Kirk Cousins type. But 
you know, with Daniel Jones specifically, it just seems like the situation on paper should be better than it is. But then you have the poor offensive line play. You have the poor coordinator calling. The receivers are always injured or, or you know, last year you kind of had the Golden Tate mess. So I don't know, like I, if I were a Giants fan, I would feel pretty conflicted about Daniel Jones just because like the Giants are not seemingly doing enough to help him out. But he's also not really, you know, the fumbles are still an issue. The turnovers are still an issue. You know, so if, if I were a Giants fan, I would feel pretty conflicted about Daniel Jones at this point. I feel like a lot of the people do. I mean, I find And even we are ourselves, like to some extent, right? Like, I think I share Nick's opinion entirely. Like, I, me and Nick look at this from a 30,000 foot view, and we've seen it play over and over again in the NFL. Usually, building around quarterbacks who need a perfect situation around them to win a Super Bowl is not an ideal scenario. Right. But at the same time, it's not easy to find these quarterbacks. Like the quarterbacks <laughs> who are difference makers aren't really hard to find. Like the J- Justin Herbert, I consider one of them, you know, I consider Joe Burrow, one of them. And mm-hmm. then you can c- go over them one by one. You'll probably find a, maybe a handful more right now in the NFL, if you're lucky and they're not easy. They don't come out in every class from an early look standpoint. I don't think I see one in this coming class. And so then you get into the game of like, you're switching out quarterbacks, you're forcing quarterbacks, you're taking Kenny Pickett mm-hmm. types. You're not really looking for the right guys or getting the right guys. And you get into a game of like, how do you find these guys? And that's a whole nother thing, but I it's, it's very conflicting for us. I actually want to talk a little bit about Herbert who, you know, yeah, as, go for it. As Nick knows, and I have a little <laughs> bit of a man crush on him. I'm just, I just love quarterback play. I just have watched enough football to know it's almost everything. To me, it's almost everything. We talk right. about the lines. We talk about the D-backs. We talk about the receivers, yada, yada, the coaching, which always gets in my mind way too much, in, uh, you know, I guess blame or or success. There are people, you know, give too much credit to it. But sure. quarterback's almost everything in this league. And Justin Herbert, to me, a good example was last week. Like, PFF's grading. Yeah, I, we, I know we had a conversation <laughs> with him on Twitter. Like, I watched, we did, that, we did. I watched a condensed version of that game. And so, like, then I look back and I see that PFF grades him with one big-time throw in that game. Uh, and I think you tweeted out. There were, like, one clip of, like, 30 seconds of three or four big-time throws yeah, I would consider, yeah. that I would consider big-time throws. Why are they big-time throws? Because I've watched enough quarterback play to know that most Giants I've watched don't even have the arm talent to even attempt those throws and won't right. even attempt those throws and won't get the ball there to that spot in on that time to give the receiver a chance to make a play. And I think Justin Herbert's arm talent is only one component of why I'm so excited about his future. I think the bigger reason is he's – football smart like Daniel Jones went to Duke a lot of people assumed he was going to be a really smart quote-unquote quarterback because he went to Duke but the reality is he played in a one-read system at Duke Shermer simplified things and he's not a biomed degree type student like Like, I can memorize things I have a probably a photographic memory type smart that's the type of smart what wrecking it's all about pattern recognition with these defenses can these quarterbacks recognize the patterns and adjust and I feel like Herbert's done a really good job of that. My question for you with Herbert, and I want to get to this, because a, a, a while ago, Mark Schofield came on our podcast. Do you know Mark at all? Yeah, I, I, I follow Mark for a while. You know, we, okay. me and you talked about his, uh, he always does like the three right. three throw breakdowns on, on Twitter, which I really love to see. Um, and those were three big time throws that he posted about Justin Herbert, but not according to Pro Football Focus. Not according to PFF, apparently. PFF <laughs> also, let's not even get into the PFF right now. Um, <laughs> but as far as what Mark came on to say, we talked about Jones, we talked about where he's at, and we talked about Pep Hamilton as a potential coordinator for Daniel Jones next year. Why? I know Pep Hamilton has had a lot of quote unquote failures in the past, but Pep Hamilton also took advantage of Justin Herbert's deep 
downfield passing game last year with a really bad offensive line that the Chargers had. I don't think people realize, Giants fans don't realize how bad that Chargers offensive line was in 2020. It was Giants level bad. And that's the straight facts. And yet they were able to generate a passing game. And so for all the excuses we always hear, you can't do anything with an offensive line. Well, there are some examples of quarterbacks who have and can. And I think Herbert's one of them. But Pep Hamilton was his coordinator. And I feel like Jones is a passer who the best thing Jones does is throw the ball downfield. So we're kind of thinking like, you know, maybe Pep Hamilton next year. Keep him on our short list. My question for you is this. <laughs> do you feel like um, – the Chargers have taken a step back on offense, moving away from Hamilton into Lombardi. Cause I know Lombardi has been a bit of a controversial hire. Uh, so just really Pep Hamilton was the quarterback's coach. Shane Steichen right. was the offensive coordinator. So Shane Steichen was, uh, he took over for Ken Wisenhunt after they fired him in the middle of 2019. Um, so he was very much, you know, a uh, uh, Philip rivers hire and they wanted to give him a full chance, but um, Pep and Justin Herbert has said this Pep is, uh, was very crucial in Justin Herbert's development. You know, he really had a good relationship with Herbert, um, helped him see the field more because the biggest thing with Herbert, you know, similar to Daniel Jones, is he was in a one read, you know, Oregon system where he was throwing screen passes and flat routes on like 70% of his passes in college. Right. And so uh, Pat Hamilton did a great job with him as the quarterback's coach, really helped him develop, you know, the timing aspect of the quarterback position helped him, you know, in his development in reading the defenses and stuff like that. I, I personally don't think the Chargers offense is taking a step back. I know everybody wants to see Herbert sling the ball down the field, and that's not happening as much. Part of that is because Joe Lombardi is trying to get, in, in particular, Mike Williams and Jalen Guyton to become more well-rounded receivers. You know, those two last year, it was all, you run a go route or you run a slant route. It's a very simple offense for those two and this year they're doing a lot more you know deep cuts and, and over routes and so that's part of it right you know part of it is also the defenses are are playing herbert you know they all saw the 70 yard bombs right and so you know defenses are keying in on that so a lot of Chargers fans are are very salty about joe lombardi and the lack of uh deep passes but you know the film and all the data numbers you know they're they're second in the league in offensive drive success they're second in the league in yards per drive their EPA per play is really good. They're second in DVOA ranking. So the, the goal for me for hiring Joe Lombardi was to help Justin Herbert take more singles and doubles because uh, last year it was touchdown or nothing like touchdown or sack or touchdown or throw the ball away or touchdown or nothing. So he he's taking more checkdowns, right? He's taking more of the safe plays this year. And that's good because I do think, you know, the deep, the deep balls will come back to normal eventually, like we saw uh, on Sunday. I want to add one question just because you brought up uh, Jalen Guyton. Keenan yeah. Allen and Mike Williams are in the uh, protocol right now for COVID. Yeah. And Mike Williams, I believe, is unvaccinated. So he's more than likely going to or he is going to miss the Giants game. And Keenan Allen still not to be determined. So what do you expect Joe Lombardi to do with Jalen Guyton? How has he looked running all of the routes that you just discussed? And also, do you think Josh Palmer will have a much more, a much bigger role? Or do you think they're going to kind of go with a more Austin Eckler tight end type of approach? Uh, I think it'll be more of the latter. Like we've seen in games like, like against the Raiders uh, on Monday Night Football and against uh, the Eagles, they really did a tight end heavy approach, running back heavy approach in those games uh, because of the way the defenses were playing them. But you know, Jalen Guyton has been steadily improving. You know, he is becoming a more well-rounded receiver. Um, Sunday was obviously his best game of the year because he was targeted the most that he has been all season. Um, I'm very curious to see how they use Josh Palmer because 
there was a stretch of time in training camp when Mike Williams was hurt. And all we heard coming out of training camp was Josh Palmer, this Josh Palmer, that, you know, Justin Herbert and Josh Palmer have a great connection. And, um, you know, we saw Palmer was the most productive receiver in the preseason with the backup quarterbacks because Herbert didn't play very much. So we've seen Palmer in the past, you know, have, you know, a very active role, but when you have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Jalen Guyton ahead of him, he hasn't been as involved. So he recently has been getting about two catches, three or four targets a game. Obviously if Keenan Allen and, and Mike Williams are not playing, I expect that to go up. Um, but I, I can't imagine they would change Guyton's role all that much. You know, he is a little bit more rounded, but he's still going to be the deep threat speed guy. Um, but I do expect Josh Palmer to kind of take on that Keenan Allen role where he's he, he's kind of the first primary read most of the time. I want to ask you a little bit more on uh, something on Palmer because Palmer's a guy who both Nick and I were really smitten with in the pre-draft process. We thought Josh Palmer was ultimately going to be drafted a full round or more after where he should have been taken from a talent standpoint, from the film standpoint. This kid had really yeah. good film, and he was just not talked about as a top 30, 35 right. type player at all. And, and a case could be made that he should have been, like in my mind, like top 50, top 45 type player sure. in this class. So from what you've seen on the film and from what you've seen – you know, throughout this entire process, are you as excited? First of all, were you excited about him when they drafted him after watching some of him at Tennessee? And are you as excited now? So uh, going back with Palmer, I was hearing like basically no buzz from like the major draft sites until after the senior bowl. Um, and so because this, a lot of the senior bowl coverage this year was virtual, you know, I had access to a lot of the film and stuff from the practices. And I just kept on looking at Palmer, you know, beating all these corners from the SEC and stuff like that in the senior bowl practices. And I was like, okay, I got to go back and watch this guy from Tennessee and see what was, was going on. And the first game that I watched was Tennessee against Alabama. And nobody likes to talk about this, but Palmer low-key gave Patrick Sertan the business. Of all the receivers I watched go up against Patrick Sertan, Josh Palmer was the best one. And, you know, we were talking beforehand about his quarterback situation. If he had even slightly average quarterback play, he probably hits 1,000 yards as a receiver last year at, his last year at Tennessee. Um, you know, I, I interviewed a Tennessee beat writer after the draft, and he said that Palmer has had been training all summer long with Anquan Bolden, that he wanted to be that kind of tough physical receiver in the NFL, and that Anquan was kind of his, you know, his mentor, so to speak. And so after I heard that, after I kept, you know, studying him, I was more and more excited. And then again, you know, throughout training camp, he was, you know, he's going to be wide receiver too. Like he's going to surpass Mike Williams. Like there was a ton of training camp hype around Josh Palmer. So uh, I remain excited, although, you know, I am a little skeptical of his long-term fit here if they extend Mike Williams, because right. I feel like unless you lose Mike Williams, it's, it's tough for me to look at a big time role for Josh Palmer because, you know, when you have Keenan Allen and you have Mike Williams, you're always going to need that third receiver to be a true speed threat, like a true four, three guy. And that's why they've kept Jalen Guyton around. Right. Cause that's why he's on the field. So if they bring back Mike Williams next year, I'm going to be a little skeptical of like how they involve Josh Palmer. Um, but it's, it's definitely possible that Mike Williams is on a different team next year. And Josh Palmer becomes that wide receiver too, that all of us are kind of hoping when they drafted him. 
All right, I got to ask you about this one too. I got to ask you about Rashawn <laughs> Slater because yeah, Rashawn yeah. Slater, just another, it seems like a lot of these Chargers picks and maybe we can ask you a little bit about that as well because actually I now just thought of another question I want to ask you about a 30,000 sure. rupee, which I'll get to after this. But it seems like the Chargers have done a really good job with player evaluation in my mind from a scouting standpoint in recent years, mm-hmm. uh, really since moving to, to Tom Telesco. And, you know, I have actually think they, I feel like I've bet the Chargers over on over for wins now for two straight years. I feel like they haven't trend this, this rosters, these rosters have looked much better than the total wins for whatever yes. reason, but hopefully yes. that will change this year for the, for you guys for the back half of the season. And I don't know what, why that would be. Um, this year's a first year head coach, which we'll also probably ask you a little bit about, but Rashawn Slater, he's a player who both Nick and I has our num- had as our number one target for the Giants in the 2021 draft. Of our big board, we had Slater first of the realistic options. Obviously, we had Pitts. We knew we weren't going to get Kyle Pitts and yeah. so on and so forth. The Giants didn't seem like they had almost any interest in Slater. And from what I've heard since, the Giants were not, had no interest in taking an offensive tackle in round one. They want they did not want to draft over Matt Parrott, a tackle they took in the 2020 draft. Mm-hmm. They also were dead set on getting another skill player for Jones. They wanted to eliminate the excuse of the skill players for Jones. So I understand. But <laughs> looking back... And at the time, great. And I still feel like the process was great. The Giants traded back. They acquired an extra first-round sure. pick for next year, which is going to be earlier than that pick would have been at 11, most likely, unless the Bears start to win football games, which they won't because they're terrible. And <laughs> the process is there. But ultimately, Kadarius Tony, who was injured at Florida his entire career and not the receiver, neither Nick or I would have taken at that pick. We both would have taken Elijah Moore. I also would have taken Bateman. I loved Elijah Moore. Loved, loved him. Elijah Moore. I had him as a top 15 prospect in that entire class, and he's looked phenomenal in the last five games of the Jets. He's absolutely phenomenal. But Tony has looked electric and like a difference maker when on the field, but he hasn't played much this season due to injuries. Yeah. And he got injured all the time at Florida. That's all I used to hear. He was great. That From people who call that team, he was great, but he's always injured. So ultimately, if the Giants mess up this Bears pick, and if Tony stays injured his whole career, it even though the process was there, the result won't be there, unfortunately. And I'm still a follow the process guy, but if you get one blue chipper <laughs> at a left tackle position, like Rashawn Slater's yeah. proving to be, it's better than mediocre players or, or oft injured players. They got it, you got to hit. And so has Rashawn Slater been as good as the press has made it seem? Because you know, I just saw Mina Kimes today type out or tweet yeah. out that she thought. Rashawn Slater deserves offensive rookie of the year, which by the way, is what John Ledyard said about Tristan Wirfs last year. And he was hundred percent white, right? Like Tristan Wirfs was the best offensive rookie last season. And has Slater well, been as good? It was just one guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, okay. Maybe not the best offensive rookie. Uh, okay. Taking away quarterbacks. He was the best offensive rookie. Let's just say that. And I yeah. think this year a case can be made that like, even including the quarterbacks, people are saying Slater was the best offensive rookie. So, yeah, I do take that back. But as far as Slater goes, <laughs> has he been as good as build? And and should we be really sad that he's not a giant? Um, Yes. Hell yes, man. <laughs> Rashawn Slater is such a good player. And so, like, he had, I think, his probably his worst game of the season against the Bengals. And it was, like, two pressures and a sack. Like, he... <laughs> He is such a good player for this team. And I just continue to be blown away. Like he doesn't make mistakes. Like there are times where he'll get beat. Like Trey Hendrickson beat him once. Um, Demarcus Lawrence beat him or not Demarcus Lawrence. Randy Gregory beat him once back in week two. Like there are times where he could beat Miles Garrett beat him. Right. But he held Miles Garrett to three or four pressures and a sack. Like he has been so good for this team. And, you know, I, I understand that there were, you know, concerns about his arm length and like what position that he plays. But he's just so smart and he doesn't, you know, you talked about 
you know, the kind of the poor process of Andrew Thomas as a rookie, you know, oversetting and then kind of overcompensating. That's not happening with Rashawn Slater. Like the physical limitations will always be there because he's not, you know, six, six, he's not, you know, crazy long arms, but he's so smart. And for me, the biggest surprise has been his ability as a run blocker, because, you know, obviously he's an elite athlete and I expected them to do a lot of things to get him in space and they're doing those things, but him and Matt Filer just completely wreck dudes on the left side of the line in combo blocks in pulling situations so there's an element of physicality that I didn't really see there at Northwestern. So I agree with Mina Kimes. I think he should be in the conversation for offensive rookie of the year. Uh, I definitely think that Tristan Wirf should have been in the conversation last year. I think he should have been an all pro last year. Uh, that Justin Herbert guy though, uh, yeah. I think rightfully won the award, but this year where, you know, Chase, Jamar Chase has kind of fallen off Mac Jones, like he's winning, right? Like, but he's not really, you know, the best rookie player this year. So for me, like in terms of offensive rookie of the year, I think Slater or Chase should be winning that award. Um, I think you can make an argument for Panay Sewell as well, who's come on recently. So uh, we're very glad that uh, the Broncos, the Panthers, everybody passed on Rashawn Slater because heading into the draft, the three of us on our show, we went into mock drafts every single time thinking, okay, you're not taking Rashawn Slayer, even if he's there, because there's no way in hell that this is happening. Yeah. There's no way that he's going to be there at 13. And then as soon as the Panthers took JC Horn, I was like, okay, like I remember like talking on our, or we were doing a live stream. And I was like, all right, this might actually happen. You know, this might, they might actually get their guy. And so we, we headed into the draft season ready for Christian Derisaw. Like that's really what we expected to be the first round pick, but uh, Rashawn Slater, man, has just been awesome. And somehow he's managed to exceed all expectations that we had for him heading into the season. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. I, I do have to say, I would feel better about that situation for you guys. Cause you traded back. You got that extra first round pick, right? Like if you look at the Panthers right now, they're just a mess from every sense of the word. You know, they just fired Joe Brady, who I think is a very bright young offensive yeah. mind. I like JC Horn a lot. I had him as the best quarter in the draft. I love that way that he plays the position. Of course, he's hurt, so that doesn't help either. But you, know, you trade three picks for Sam Darnold, and then you take a corner, and then your offensive line solution is Brady Christensen from BYU, who like they won't even play now. So the Panthers, you talk about uh, poor process and poor results, and that's kind of what's happening down there for sure. Yeah, Dave Gettleman stink after he left, just kind of, you know, hovered there and stuck there for a little while. <laughs> no, it's all good. You're not it's wrong. Good. <laughs> um, I kind of want to shift gears, though, for a second and talk about the defense because uh, Nick mentioned earlier, you know, it does feel like the defense is gelling. And I have to say, like, the one position group that concerns me the most for this matchup is – you know, the interior offensive line for the Chargers against the interior defensive line for the Giants because you have Austin Johnson, who's top five in run stops. Leonard Williams is a fantastic player. Dexter Lawrence is a fantastic player. So to me, like, that seems like the bright spot of the Giants, if I'm being honest. I think it's the front, and it's also the secondary if Adoree Jackson is there. And I don't have any word, Dan. I'm not sure if Adoree Jackson is playing because he did miss last game. I think the without Mike Williams, without Keenan Allen, and then with James Bradbury, with Adore Jackson, with Aaron Robinson, the Giants' third-round pick, 
yeah. along with the defensive front. I think that's something that could somewhat, I don't want to say scare the Chargers, because I don't think that's the right term, but it's something that could give the Chargers problems. But sure. yes, in terms of matchup-wise, if everybody is fully healthy, Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence, I feel like on the interior, could possibly gain an advantage on the interior parts of your guy's line. Now, I'm interested to see Rashawn Slater against some Aziz Ojolari, against some Lorenzo Carter. Yeah whatever uh, ends up happening there. I think Rashawn Slater would probably, if he sees Aziz Ojolari for an uh, extended amount of snaps, would have the advantage there. But Aziz Ojolari is nobody to kind of, you know, up your nose at or anything like that because he's having a really good season. He just broke the rookie sack record for the New York Giants with six and a Mm -hmm. half. So he's another name that uh, Chargers fans should probably be aware of, as well as Quincy Roche, who, again, was six-round pick by the the Steelers. The Giants got off the practice squad. That was an excellent addition. And every time we turn on the tape, Dan and I talk to dude, 95 is making plays, bro. He's out there making yeah. plays one game. He's getting pressures. He's getting sacks. So that's another name to that I would uh, be aware of as well. And then, obviously, Xavier McKinney, too, just on the back end when the Giants are in the middle of the field, closed looks. You know, they like to run a lot of cover three type of looks. Sometimes they're going to cover one, and that's usually on third and four, third and five, third and six, and kind of um, shorter situations. They'll have Xavier McKinney on the back end, and if – and I don't think he's gonna have. I don't think he's gonna be able to do this against Justin Herbert with that kind of velocity that Justin Herbert has. But he literally baits a lot of quarterbacks in those looks, and he did it to Jalen Hurts, who got cocky and tried forcing the football into a situation, single high look, and McKinney was like, "Nah, son." He just like undercut it and intercepted the ball. So he's another player that uh, Chargers fans should definitely be aware of. He's having a really, really good season. Yeah, Roche was somebody that a lot of Chargers fans wanted in his draft. So. Um... I think the Steelers probably want to have that one back given the fact, the state of their uh, edge rusher position. But um, one thing that Justin Herbert has kind of struggled with this year is, is kind of like the simulated pressures, you know, against the Ravens, against the Patriots in particular, you know, it was a little tough for him and Corey Lindsley to try and figure out who was coming when the Ravens did cover zero, like I think 40 snaps, like it was just ridiculous. They threw everything at him uh, in, in terms of cover zero looks. So, is that something that the Giants do a lot? Because I know that's kind of a Bill Belichick staple, you know, the amoeba defense that a lot of people call it. Uh, Dan, is that something that the Giants do a lot as well? Not necessarily. This is not really a big aspect of the defense. I mean, it hasn't been since Patrick Graham took over. Um, I wouldn't say that you're going to see much of that. They're, they're starting to bring more. They have, in recent weeks, played more, especially on third downs, played more man coverage and sent more blitzes. Usually it'll be a corner. It'll be whoever's in that slot whatever that may be, but I don't think you're going to see many of those looks where everyone's kind of at the line of scrimmage and a bunch of people bail and then some come after them. The Giants, for the most part, do a lot of four-man rushes. Okay. Yeah, they've, I been, mean, oh, ahead, they've been incorporating some five-man pressure packages with Tay Crowder, the linebacker. They did that a lot last game, uh, to be honest, where they will slant everyone to one side and bring Tay Crowder around as a looper. Mm. To, to try to, you know, isolate him against if it's a six-man protection of running back. And take Crowder, he when he has momentum, he does pretty well in that situation. It's probably some of his best play, to be honest. So that's something you may see. I think you will see some five-man pressure packages. And like Dan said, a lot of the times it's that apex defender coming right before the snap, like Julian Love will drop down from a too-high look and just right before the snap just kind of fly off the edge. Sometimes mm-hmm. Darnay Holmes, Aaron Robinson, if he's kicked inside, I feel like he will execute that if Adore Jackson's there. But if there's no Adore Jackson, he's probably going to be on the boundary. So – that's something I'd pay attention to. But as Dan said, cover zero, it's not something the Giants do all that often. They usually have a rat in the hole or a safety over top. Is uh, is Jackson's injury considered serious? No, no. It's uh, something that I think he's questionable to return from as of right now. So it's not something – he's not on the IR or anything like that. But I don't okay. think he's going to be playing this week. He might not play this week, yeah. Okay. 
Sounds good. So I just want to get your guys' general thoughts on this matchup in terms of, because I know the spread right now is, I, I think it's at 10 still. Um, do you feel like that is an accurate assessment of where this matchup is? Or do you feel like the Giants can kind of maybe make this a little closer than people think? Obviously, the receiver position for the Chargers with the COVID stuff is is definitely throwing a loop uh, in this game. But uh, Nick, I'll start with you. What's kind of your general thoughts on this matchup? So Joe Judge came out today and he said that Mike Glennon, he expects him to clear protocol. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think, I actually think with Mike Glennon, the Giants may be able to keep it somewhat close. Jake Fromm is just, I just don't know anything about Jake Fromm right now as an NFL quarterback. So I can't really give uh, analysis there. And I'm curious to see what Brendan Staley will dial up against someone like Mike Glennon, who has a propensity to throw the football into areas where the football should not be thrown to. And that's another (laughs) thing. I think the Giants are going to come out with the Joe Judge staple, very conservative type of approach. But Freddie Kitchens likes to add a couple interesting wrinkles into it. But 10 points, I I think, is probably fair. I don't expect the Giants to get – I don't know, man, because with with the injuries to your gut or the COVID situation going on, that kind of throws another um, aspect into this. Giants have been blown out only a few times in the Joe Judge era. They tend to keep games really close, and then they lose them. That's kind of the way the Giants go, and that's mainly because the Giants' defense is pretty solid overall but uh i'm not confident in the new york giants traveling across the country right now and i would think 10 points is something that i would i don't know if i would bet it but i i won't be like oh the giants will cover that either yeah on my end it's like if the chargers had all those receivers healthy i might bet the spread for the chargers though i have been curious about the fact that the chargers just haven't been blowing out teams i feel like they should be blowing out and haven't been winning yeah. games by as much point and many points i feel like they should be winning for whatever reason but i'm with nick if glennon does play i think the giants will keep it a lot closer than if from doesn't than if from plays and for me it's mostly about what from said today he's like trying to prepare for this game is basically like walking into a final when you didn't attend a single class he just signed <laughs> the team two weeks ago you know what i mean like he just signed the team two weeks ago he's handed a playbook there's almost zero chance that he can master that in two weeks. He's yeah. going to be lucky enough to even call to get plays off at this stage of his journey with the Giants. And now you're going against Brandon Staley, one of the best defensive coordinators in my mind in the NFL, one of the brightest and one of the most uses diverse defenses all the time. It's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. And we saw last week with Glennon, he didn't do so well against the Blitz. I think the Giants are going to struggle big time to move the ball. The reason why I would have bet the Chargers with all the receivers is because this specific matchup is the exact kind of matchup that that crushes the Giants defense. The Giants even been great this year, but they haven't been great against quarterbacks like Brady. And the quarterbacks who are really good are the ones who they don't really <laughs> perform that well against because Herbert can rip through the zones and Herbert could, Herbert's balls are just going to cut into the areas where the Giants defenders are not going to get too quick enough. And so I think the Chargers are going to have a pretty easy time, to be completely honest, moving the ball. It's just a matter of the same thing every week with the Giants defense. Can they produce turnovers and can they get stops in the red zone that force field goals? That might happen sometimes, but it's not like they're going to get as many punts as they had against the Dolphins. They forced a lot of punts against the Dolphins. I don't foresee that happening against Mm -hmm. the Chargers in this matchup. And then when you factor in the offense, basically not going to be able to move the ball at all. I don't think against this defense, regardless of who's in. Uh, I I think if I had to bet it, I'd go Chargers, even with the injuries or the COVID list guys, I should say. Also, Austin Eckler could have like eight catches in this game. Oh, yeah. I just literally don't even pay attention to the flats. They're, they're flying. Yeah. We'll surrender those four or five yards, and we're going to trust right. our defense to rally and tackle. So I expect a lot of Austin Eckler. Yeah. I, I mean, if Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are not playing, I expect a lot of Eckler. I expect a lot of Donald Parham, a lot of Jared Cook. So it's going to be fascinating to watch, unfortunately, uh, with all the injuries and stuff like that. What happens, obviously, I, you'd always prefer to uh, have teams be healthy, but – 
Uh, really interested to see how this one plays out. So, uh, Nick, Dan, where can uh, Chargers fans find well, Let me, let me ask you one more question to, to, okay, to, leave, to leave out here because I know Giants fans are going to love to hear your answer on this one. Sure. I've earlier this show complimented the Chargers roster building and kind of their evaluations of players in recent years. Sure. Is there anyone from that front office that has caught your attention? Because for me and Nick, the goal this offseason is to not promote from within and hire and promote um, Kevin Abrams, the Giants general manager. So look outside the organization, take a step back and realize what we're doing is not working and find a bright young mind from a different organization. Is there anyone in that front office that's caught your attention that the Giants can fans can keep on their radar for potential GM search this offseason? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I just want to make sure I get his uh, name right. So Jojo Wooden is the uh, director of player personnel. He uh, has been kind of rising through the ranks with the Chargers. He, there was a great story uh, by Joe Reedy, who covers the Chargers for the Associated Press. He's somebody that's caught a lot of attention. Um, there was, you know, he was last year when all the you know all our articles come out of like future stars, right? And Jojo Wooden was always in like the others category. So there, there's a little buzz around him. He is, you know, considered you know, a vital process, uh, a vital piece of the player evaluation department for the Chargers. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of Chargers fans don't like Tom Telesco because, you know, they feel like he's never really been that aggressive type of GM to push his chips into the table and go make a trade, go make a, a free agent signing. That's like truly aggressive. But the reality is that his drafting for the most part is pretty successful. And, you know, you look at a player like a Sam Tevy, who people were always very critical of. Well, he's a seventh round pick who they turned into a four year starter. Yeah. Uh, and I felt like he could have been come, he should have been brought back as a swing tackle. So, um, you know, Tom Telesco probably is not an elite general manager. You know, he's not in the Chris Ballard conversation or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, I feel like he is a very solid general manager who at least drafts pretty well. So, uh, I'm yeah, fine God with forbid, you, God forbid you find a general manager that gets you Rashawn Slater, Justin Herbert. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, we, we're, we're hating on this guy. Walk into my life, okay? We have Dave Gettleman. Take, take, take one step into my life. Tell your fans yeah. who are coming at Tom Telesco to talk to me. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing with Telesco is that he's just been associated with two poor coaching hires, right? You mm -hmm. have Mike McCoy and then Anthony Lynn. Um, and that's what people really don't, take into account with the whole general manager thing that a lot of it is such a collaborative process with the head coach at that time. And so that's the thing that Tom Telesco has always done. He's always been very collaborative with the head coach. You know, last year he traded up to get Kenneth Murray because Anthony Lynn wanted him. Anthony went, he was like one of the top players on Anthony Lynn's personal request board. So uh, that hasn't really panned out, but you know, it is what it is. Um, so that's that's something you can always say about uh, I feel like most of the good GMs is that they collaborate with their head coach and it's a very collaborative process. But because Tom Telesco doesn't go trade for, you know, an Odell Beckham Jr. type of thing, then Chargers fans don't really like him that much. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Well, this has been great. I really appreciate your guys' time today. Uh kept you a little longer than I said I would, but uh, Nick, where can Chargers find Chargers fans find you uh, and your work and the uh, Big Blue Banter podcast as well? 
Yeah, you can find the Big Blue Banter podcast, myself and Dan, just breaking down New York Giants, all 22, everything New York Giants. We dive really deep into the draft. You can find that on Spotify, iTunes. Check me out on Twitter, at Nick Falato. It's F-A-L-A-T-O, just right there on the screen if you're watching on the YouTubes there. And you can check my work out at Big Blue View. Yeah, there for sure. Go. And so, like Nick said, you can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, all of those. You can also find us on Instagram. That's NY Big Blue Banter on Instagram. And then on YouTube, type in Big Blue Banter. You'll see the same logo we have for our iTunes page. We do video breakdowns. We're going to do draft prospects too. We have actually, Nick did a really extensive breakdown on Rashawn Slater, if anyone's just interested. I mean, you've seen him now in the, in the pros, but right. it's a pretty cool video of what he could be. And it's turning out to be very, prof- what's the word? Uh, Accurate. <laughs> what'd you say? accurate accurate i was gonna say uh when you predict something ahead of time foreshadowing whatever it may be it's a great video so you can find all our work there you can find my my work at you know on twitter at dan schneier nfl and on cbs sports i do fantasy stuff over there if you're interested in fantasy games there we go so i i know we there was a lot of overlap with the players and prospects that we liked coming up so we haven't touched draft prospects yet uh so make sure and follow nick and dan guys as you're listening to this uh, as they continue and begin to dive into draft stuff. Uh, and Nick, again, thank you for your time. Dan, thank you for your time. And we'll uh, be in touch down the road. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.